the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is, Are We Are Important to God? We Are Important to God. Another title could be, How Much We Matter to God? One of our greatest needs in life is to feel valuable. To feel that our life matters, that we are worthwhile, that we have significance. Because of this, we are constantly looking around and in our mind comparing and evaluating other people and comparing ourselves to them. In our society, we tend to base our self-worth on four things. We judge our worth first by our appearance. How do I look? If I look good, then I think that I must be okay. Then we judge our worth by achievement. What have I accomplished? How successful am I? Then we judge our worth on our approval rating. How well am I liked? If a lot of people like me, then I must be okay. And then we judge our worth on our affluence. What do I own? How much do I possess? The problem with these four standards is that none of them are stable. They all change. None of these things on which we normally judge ourselves are good judges of our self-worth. Our appearance will change with age, and some of us are witnesses to that. Our achievements will be surpassed by others because you'll find others who are much better uh, to doing certain things than you are. And then our approval will last until people who love us die or, or leave or abandon us or sometimes even reject us. So if we build our self-worth on those things. How are we going to feel about ourselves when we are old, ugly, and broke? Not very good, I'm sure. You see, if you want to build your self-esteem on something that lasts, you have to build it on something that can change. And there's only one thing that won't change, and that is what God thinks about you and about me. 
A wonderful example of what God thinks about us is Zacchaeus, the story that was read, read for us earlier. Zacchaeus was a man who lived in the city of Jericho. One day Jesus came to Jericho and Zacchaeus had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. In Luke chapter 19, uh, 1 through 4, we read, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. Now, Zacchaeus did not want to talk to Jesus. All he wanted was a glimpse of Jesus. And if there was ever a man who needed his self-esteem build up, if there was ever a man who needed a stronger sense of self-worth, it was Zacchaeus. Because in the four ways we evaluate our worth, Zacchaeus struck out on the first three. The only one he had going for him was that he was wealthy. He was affluent. But in the first place, Zacchaeus didn't like his appearance. The Bible tells us that he was short, and in fact, uh, he was the shortest man in the city of Jericho, according to tradition. He was probably teased all of his life about how he looked. Not only that, but he was hated by everyone in the city. The Bible says that he was the chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors are never popular. But in Roman days, it was even worse. The Roman system of collecting taxes was absolutely corrupt. A tax collector could collect and keep as much taxes as he wanted as long as he paid Rome uh, its due. For instance, if you owed Rome $10, the tax collector could say you owed $20. And he would collect the $20, give Rome $10, and would keep the other $10 for himself. And Zacchaeus became a wealthy man by ripping off other people. Uh, for a Jewish person to, be, to become a Roman tax collector was absolutely unthinkable. You would be working for the enemy. If you became a Roman tax collector as a Jew, it meant three things. It meant first that your family would disown you. Two, you would never be allowed to worship in the synagogue. And three, you would be put in a class of people that was worse than murderers. So Zacchaeus was hated by everybody because he not only was a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector, which means he was the guy who ran the whole scam. So there is uh, no doubt he not only didn't like the way he looked, but nobody liked what he did. As a result, Zacchaeus hated himself. And what we have here is a guy who has a lot of money, but didn't like himself. A man who was uh, lonely and miserable. But one day, everything changed. In one moment, in one encounter with Jesus, his life was changed forever. He learned how much he mattered to God. The story about Zacchaeus gives us three fundamental truths 
on which we should base how we feel about ourselves. Number one, no matter how insignificant we feel, Jesus notices us. Jesus notices us. No matter how low, how lonely, how insignificant, how little we feel, Jesus notices us. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man, but he was also a very lonely man. When he heard that Jesus was passing through Jericho, uh, he wanted to get a glimpse of him, but because he was short, he knew that he would not be able to see uh, Jesus as a result of the crowd. So he ran ahead and uh, found a sycamore tree by the side of the road, climbed it uh, where he could get a good view of Jesus. That's all he wanted, just a view of Jesus. And, and Jesus walks straight through the city, past hundreds of people along the way, and stopped at the tree where Zacchaeus was. And Luke 19 and verse 5 says, when Jesus got to the tree, he looked up. In a packed crowd, Jesus notices Zacchaeus. He looks up. I can imagine Zacchaeus' heart starting to pound, his throat all constricted. He's filled with adrenaline. He's looking at me. Out of all the people in Jericho, he's looking at me. Imagine how shocked he was when that happened. That was the last thing he was expecting. In fact, he wanted to hide away. So he went into a tree, not expecting that Jesus would have seen him. But why did Jesus do that? Why did he stop right at the tree and look up? Because he knew that was exactly where Zacchaeus was. And he wanted to be with Zacchaeus. He noticed Zacchaeus. So here's the point. God knows exactly where we are today. We may even be up a tree. We may be out on a limb. We may be in a hole. We may think God has forgotten us. And that he is a thousand miles away, but he's not. He has got his eyes on each of us. There's never been a moment when God took his eyes off you and me. He has seen every breath we have taken, every thought we have ever had, every word we have ever said, everything we have ever done, good or bad. And he has constantly looked at us with eyes of love. We have a hard time uh, imagining that God pays much attention to us when we don't pay much attention to him. Amen. We don't notice God 24 hours a day, but every moment of every day, God has his eyes on us. He notices every detail. Or people may ignore you. They may not think that you are important enough to give you their attention. But God says you are so important to him that he has never taken his eyes off you. He has seen every hurt you have felt, every sadness you have felt, every tear that you have cried. He knows it all. As Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, What is the price of five sparrows, two copper coins? Yet God does not forget a single one of them and the very hairs of your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows 
The deepest expression of love is attention. When you give someone your attention, you're giving them your love. God always, always watching us with eyes of love. We all have deep, a deep need to be noticed. God is always noticing us. There are people all around us who are dying just to be noticed, to be acknowledged. It's a need that we all have as human beings. Other people may not pay us much attention, but God does. No matter how insignificant we feel, Jesus Christ notices us. But the second point is, no matter what other people say, Jesus affirms us. Jesus affirms us. All of his life, Zacchaeus had been ridiculed and rejected. First, by his appearance, he was of short stature. Second, by his actions, he was a dishonest man. So nobody liked either the way he looked or the way he acted. We can only imagine the kind of gossip that was spread about this guy, the most hated man in town, the cruel remarks, the criticism behind his back, the evil things that were said about him. But Jesus had another surprise for Zacchaeus. He not only stopped at his tree and looked up and called him, but he called him by name. It's in Luke chapter 19 and, uh, and verse 5. Jesus looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said. Imagine the shock of Zacchaeus. He knows my name. I didn't hear him uh, hear anyone tell him my name. I didn't hear him ask anybody about my name. He just knows it. See, God knows where we are. He knows who we are. He knows everything about you and about me. He's personally acquainted with every area of our life. He cares about us as individuals. He knows our name. He knows everything about us. As Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created, created us new in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. In other words, before you and I were born, God planned the good things he wanted for us to do as we live our lives here. He knew from before the foundation of the world that, um, that we would be his children because he had so designed that we would be. And so he knew exactly what he wanted each of us to do. So he has a purpose and a plan that we are supposed to fulfill while we are here on the earth. But we have to choose to follow his plan for our life. Paul says we are God's masterpiece. You see, masterpieces are not mass-produced. Masterpieces are not produced on an assembly line. Masterpieces are custom creation. And each of us is God's custom creation. God lovingly chose every detail uh, in your life and mine. We may not like them. We may not understand them until perhaps much later in life or until we get to heaven. But God has a plan for each of our lives and we need to trust him to reveal that plan to us. 
We are God's masterpiece, which means we are uniquely customized. There is not one other person on the face of the earth like you or like me. When God made us, he broke the mold. He knows everything about us, and he still loves us and wants us to be his own. But thirdly, no matter what we have done, Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. Jesus wants to have a relationship with us. Zacchaeus' appearance made him feel lonely and insecure. And Zacchaeus' accusers made him feel bitter and resentful. But it was Zacchaeus' sins, his own lifestyle, his own choices that made him feel guilty and ashamed. Jesus didn't just walk up to the tree and look up and notice him. And he didn't just call him by name and affirm him in front of everybody else who hated him. But he invited himself to Zacchaeus' home for dinner. And so, looking again at um, Luke 19.5, it says, When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. This was unthinkable, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, would walk all the way through town to find the biggest scoundrel and say, I'm going to be a guest in your home today. Oh, the reaction, the reaction of the crowd was, was swift and, and, and brief. Uh, look at uh, verse, uh, verse 7. It says, Uh, But the crowds were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. He said, Jesus knew that Zacchaeus was carrying so much hidden guilt that there is no way that Zacchaeus would uh, presume to uh, invite Jesus to his house. Because in his mind he had been thinking, I'm not good enough to have Jesus at my house. I'm not good enough to have God as my guest. You don't know the things that I've done. I'm not good enough to have a relationship with him. And many, there are many people who feel that way as well. And they think, I'm not good enough to be a child of God. But you're wrong, dead wrong, if you are thinking that way. You see, God's acceptance of us is not based on our goodness. It is based on God's incredible love for us in spite of all that we have done. And he still wants us, no matter what we have done, how far we have gone. Jesus takes the initiative and he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm going to your house today. The truth is that all of us here have done a lot of things we feel ashamed of. We've all hurt other people with with our own brand of selfishness. It is different for all of us. Sometimes it is out in the open. Sometimes it's behind the scenes. But we have hurt a lot of people by the things we have said, the things we have done, and the choices that we have made. But Jesus is more interested in changing us than he is in condemning us. And so he looks at us and says, I know you, I love you, and I want you to know me and to love me and have a relationship with me. 
Oh, there are some people who think, if I come to Jesus with all the dirt in my life, he's going to say, I told you so, and give me a long lecture. But you don't understand God if you think like that. You don't understand how important you are to God. He has seen it all, and still he loves you. When you come to him, no matter what you've done, Jesus still loves you and wants you to be a part of his, his kingdom. And that's called grace. You see, grace is when God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. John chapter 6 and verse 37, Jesus said, Those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. I will always accept them. In other words, no matter what you have done, no matter how bad your life has been, no matter how much society has dumped on you, uh, Jesus says, you are still mine and I love you. So how should you respond to that kind of love? The way Zacchaeus did. Look at uh, verse 6. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. We need to receive him joyfully when he calls us. You know, it is too good an offer to turn down, my brothers and sisters. It changed Zacchaeus' life and it can change our life as well. Luke chapter 19, 8 and 9 says, Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. This is something happened to Zacchaeus. Something happened to his heart because the most selfish man in the city of Jericho became the most generous man in the city. So how do you know if you have really met Jesus and given your life to him? Your attitudes change. You become a more generous person. All of a sudden, you are not so stingy and not so selfish anymore. You start thinking about other people than just yourself. Because you realize how much you have been given and you want to give back so that others can be happy. Or any time you are selfish and stingy, you have just forgotten that everything that you have is a gift from God. Everything. You don't have anything in your life that God didn't allow you to have that wasn't a gift. You owe him everything. So when Jesus is truly the Lord and the master of your life, then you are changed from being a taker to being a giver. You become like God. God so loved the world that he gave. And we ought to be givers. Being a Christian does not mean we have it all together. We are not perfect. We still sin. But it means we are headed in a new direction. It means that we can discover God's plan and purpose for our life. It means we can face all that life can throw at us because we are now empowered by the Spirit of God that lives within us. To be a Christian means we no longer have to stumble around in spiritual darkness. We no longer have to lie awake at night worrying about what we have done because we know that we can receive the forgiveness of God 
and not just once or twice, but infinitely. We, when we um, become Christians, we know that we no longer are an instrument of Satan to be used at his discretion. To be a Christian means that we are now heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We can now enjoy the blessings of the Lord without uh, any reservation. We have not only hope of heaven, but the sure promise of getting there one of these days. And it also means we can look forward to seeing the Lord who came and died in our place that we might have the privilege of experiencing all of what I've been talking about. Yes, it means all of this and much, much more. It means that with new feet, we can walk in holiness. It means that with new knees, we can kneel in prayer before Almighty God. It means that with new tongues, we can praise and magnify the Lord. It means that with a new heart, we can express our love towards God. It means that with a new mind, we can contemplate the goodness of God. It means that with a new outlook, we can face each new day. It means that with new hands, we can labor in God's vineyard. It means that with new motives, we can minister to the needs of others. And it means that with new hope, we can eagerly await the return of Jesus Christ. And as someone has said, oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace. On the streets of glory, let me lift my voice. Cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Amen and amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.